0: All right, we're back with Reaction Podcast episode twelve. It's a dozen episodes. A dozen, a full dozen. Six times two. This morning we had Krispy Kreme donuts. Yeah, we had, and there were just as many donuts as there were episodes. Yeah, so we're excited to be this far in. We just came out of week one of Summer Nights, where we're talking about what happens when Jesus meets people and this week Brad you preached on John 4 where Jesus meets the woman at the well and the kind of topic the main point that we talked about was shame yeah what and there's there's a lot of different approaches that you can take to the Woman at the Well story because there's so much there. Mm-hmm. Like she mm-hmm. she has this incredible interaction with Jesus and he just impacts her life in so many ways and opens her eyes to so many different truths that like you can preach this a million different ways. Sure, yeah. What is it that is really, really important for our students to understand about shame. Like, why did we zero in on... Why did we start there? Shame yeah. <laughs> for week one
1: of summer nights. Yeah, start, yeah. and we even said, like, we're, we're starting out light. Yeah. We're, we're talking about shame. And you could almost hear the air go out of the room when we said, hey, tonight we're going to talk about shame. Yeah. And everybody was like, oh. Yeah, bring some friends, because yeah. we're talking about we're shame. We're talking about shame. It's going to be a real hoot, you know. <laughs> um, I think, you know, the the thing that, that we... Well, I'll just say this. In kind of preparation for this week, um, I went and did research um, and listened to a lot of Brene Brown. you know, so Brene Brown is, she's an author, uh, she's a social worker, a a psychologist, counselor, all of those things. Um, But she kind of got famous or became known um, from a TED talk she did back in, I think 2008, Um, that was all about her research on shame and vulnerability and it touched a nerve right because you start talking about shame and it's like well we all have it uh we've we've all got those things in our lives that are cringy right that we go like you know whether it was something that happened last week or something that happened yesterday or something that's you know 10 20 years in our past there there are things that we we carry the weight of shame um and one thing that I thought was it's hard it's hard sometimes to to put like um to give shame a face or give shame kind of an environment. And one of the things that she said in in, in one of her podcasts is she referred to shame as the swampland of the soul. Mm. And right there in that moment, I was like, ah, oh, that's it. Uh, and, and, and as you start to think about it, and we even threw a picture up of a swamp on, on Sunday night, um, I thought about, I, I, I remembered a story um, from, from my childhood growing up. We had a neighbor um, down the street who had a pond by their house. Um, and, and it was one of those deals where, you know, uh, you know in the summertime, the pond, you know, you get all like the pond scum and algae and, and all that kind of stuff. Well, it got to a point where it was just out of control and it had taken over this entire pond. And it was, it looked like, you know, when you would drive past it, it looked like there there wasn't it was like it was a solid surface, like you could walk across it. Yeah. Um, and in that, like as that algae grew in that pond, it sucked all the oxygen out of the water, which killed all the fish that were in the pond. Well, now you've got dead fish floating in a pond, and it stinks, and you could smell it down the road. You know that kind of a thing, and it was it was disgusting. And you would drive past this thing, and you would you know as as a neighbor you're kind of starting to cast a little bit of judgment on, I wish they would just do something about this nasty swamp that's in their backyard. Um, And the crazy thing is, is I guarantee you if you would have gone and knocked on our neighbor's house and on their door and said, Hey, do you know that that you've got this kind of festering swamp in your backyard? They, they would have said, yeah, 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 I do. I know that I have. So, so what's your plan? Like, what are you going to, I don't know. I don't know what to do with it. I don't know how. I don't know how to deal with this problem. And I think that's how a lot of us deal with shame. Is if you ask any one of us, do you have shame in your life? Yeah, I do. Oh, oh, so what are you going to do about it? I don't know. Yeah. And it's like this swamp. It's like this thing that like we don't want to go in there. We don't really. know. It's like I don't want to deal with that. I would rather pretend that it doesn't exist. Even though I know, right. I can like, I can smell my, my, my shame, right? Like I can smell the swamp down the street. Um, uh, I know it's there and there's these constant reminders that I have shame in my life. Um, but I, I don't know how to deal with it. And so, because I don't know how to deal with it, I just don't. Yeah. Right. So I thought yeah. that was a really good picture for us as we start to begin to think and talk about shame to go, ah, this is kind of what it's like. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's such a good word picture. You're like you're when you're walking in shame, you're walking on ground that is not solid. Right. Right. And I think it's really important to make the distinction right off the bat between conviction and shame because when when you have conviction, you know, when you have a consequence in your mind of like things that you've done, conviction drives you towards something, right? Mm-hmm. Conviction drives you towards repentance, it drives you towards doing better the next time, it drives you towards healing, becoming healthier. Shame is the opposite of that. Like shame is getting stuck in the swamp and there's nothing good about shame like there's nothing valuable there's nothing constructive about shame and so shame will break you down shame will make you complacent it'll make you stuck where you're at it'll Mm -hmm. make you drown it'll be uncomfortable it'll drive other people away from you it'll keep you from doing the things and stepping into the things that you're meant to do whereas conviction is the acknowledgement of your sin or the acknowledgement of your mistakes with the intention of like taking another step with the intention of, okay, I'm going to walk on a firm foundation. I'm going to walk on good ground. So I think it's really important to understand like those are two different things. One of them is constructive and one of them is deconstructive. Yeah, or just destructive. Yeah, yeah, or destructive. And I think that's why it's so important to bring... The shame conversation to students and especially students who may not know Jesus yet um, because that's really foundational in in like understanding your identity and why you need Jesus, why mm. you need a savior. Mm-hmm. Um, because shame really is destructive and it's going to snowball. It's going to compound yeah. if it's not addressed. And the, the more you get into life, the more you're going to be held back and beat down and wounded by your shame unless you start to deal with it, unless you
1: start to reach for a Savior who can pull you out of it. Right, yeah, and, and what, one of the things we talked about, we, we leveraged just like the whole scenario and situation in John 4, where you've got a woman, a uh, Samaritan woman, coming to a well, you know, where Jesus and his disciples, they had left, you know, the southern part of, of, of Israel, right, and they were making their way back up to Galilee. They were in Judea making the way back up to Galilee where where Jesus and his disciples were kind of hubbed around where they were from um and and Jesus they have to pass through Samaria right and so it's like you know most Jews wouldn't have done that in that day but again that's another sermon for another time um Jesus takes his disciples into a you know a place in a territory that they wouldn't normally go and Jesus because he was human is tired and so he wants to sit down and rest. They've been walking for a long time uh, and he sits down next to a well and this woman comes to get water you know, from the well. And so one of the things we used right off the bat was this bucket illustration, right? Where you've got shame, you know, sitting in this big dark cauldron looking thing we had up on stage. And what shame does is this woman's coming to get water, right? Shame begins to pour into our lives and we start to carry the weight of shame. and. And what I did on Sunday was I took that that big bucket and poured it into two smaller buckets and and one student in particular thought it must have thought it was funny because they put it on our Instagram their favorite part of summer nights is when I dumped water all over the <laughs> stage I missed okay yep. right I did my best Yeah um, when Nick
0: came out for the final set he came out with a towel Yeah that's good you
1: know that's sometimes yeah I I I just was excited yeah. right Um but the, so shame pours into us uh, and then we have to we have to carry that weight around um, because what shame says to us is, I know what you've done. I know what really happened. I know the truth. And so what happens is we carry that shame around like a weight uh, and how that connects and how that applies, you know, to this story is you've got this woman coming to a well to get water and and John 4 it's there, there are things in, in scripture that as we read scripture you go I wonder why they put that in there that you go oh now I know so the, the, there's this small little detail in John 4 uh, when it says that, that that Jesus he set wearily by a well around noontime right so we know it's midday you know you go why would they just why would John drop that detail in there well there's a reason and so this this woman around midday starts coming to she comes to the well to get a drink of water. Jesus is thirsty He says, hey, can you give me a drink? Um, and, and they start this conversation. But, and this is something we talked about on Sunday, the reason that the time of day is important is because this woman was coming to a well at a time of day when she knew nobody was gonna be there. Yeah. Right, so you don't in, in this time in this in, in Jesus's day, people would come. They would get their water to do whatever they need to do, whether it's cook or clean or whatever. They would get it in the morning when it's still cool, right? You know, the sun's not directly overhead. This woman is is coming, you know, to a well from a village to get water at the hottest part of the day, and then carry it back. Like yet, you didn't want to do that, and so there's a reason that she's coming um, to the well at the middle of the day. It's because she doesn't want to face the village, right? Yeah. She doesn't want to face the people that maybe know what's really, she's got a swamp, right? The, the, the swamp of shame exists. Uh, and she's choosing right now to, to ignore it. And one of the things we said that shame does, one of the things we get from this beginning of this story, the fact that you've got this woman who is going out of her way, uh, doing something that is vastly more uncomfortable. Uh, and it's because of shame is, is shame changes our behavior. So one of the effects of shame on our lives is it makes us do strange things you know for this woman it was it was choosing to go to a well in the middle of the day uh, and sweating it out because i would rather do that than face the rumors and hear the whispers of people talking behind my back and and for students we we kind of put this in their world and said you know it's a lot like you know some of us we know uh, you know i'm not going to go down that hallway at school because then i'm going to have to pass his or her locker and and the shame I'm carrying is attached to that person. And so I'm going to take the long way around and maybe even be late to class if I have to do that. Or, um, I'm I'm not, I don't want to go down. I don't want to go hang out over there because if I know if I hang out there, I might see him or her. Uh, or, you know, I think the thing too, it's like right now AirPods are like the thing, right? You know, I'm just going to stick my AirPods in my ears and crank whatever music, you know is so i can just zone out uh, and and at least that way i can i can pretend to not hear what people are saying about me so 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 shame it causes us it it, it changes our behavior shame causes us to do weird things.
0: Yeah, it's like a catch-22, like shame is is forcing you to choose between the lesser of two evils, right? You're enduring the pain of the noonday sun because that pain is less than the pain of people looking at you with judgment, or you're enduring the pain of, of not having close relationships at school, or you're enduring the pain of feeling lonely because that's not as bad as the pain of what you think other people perceive you like or, or what they think about you or the conversations they're going to have about you. Right? So you're you're never choosing like the good option or the healthy option. Your shame is forcing you to choose between, well, you can either be in pain over here or you can be in pain over here. Right?
1: Yeah. And it's like, which, which one is the lesser pain? Yeah. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, again, we get caught in that, in that space. And this woman was caught in that space, and so Jesus strikes up this conversation with her, and you know asks her for a drink of water. And you know, first she's like, "Well, why, you know, why is a Jewish man talking to a Samaritan woman?" She kind of calls him out on that, like, "What, do you, like, who do you think you are? Why are you talking to me?" And Jesus says, well, if you only knew who was talking to you, you know, you would ask me for a drink and I would give you living water. Right. Um, And she's going, well, hold on. Wait a minute. Like, what do you mean living water? He said, well, let me just tell you. like it would become like he says in John four, he says, it'll become like a fresh bubbling spring within you, giving you eternal life. You'll never be thirsty again. And her response is, please, sir, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again and I won't have to come here to get water. So as Jesus begins to engage this woman in this conversation, you know, fully knowing that there, like, there's a reason you're coming here at noon, right? I can tell you're not here when you're supposed to be here. Like, what are you trying to avoid? Her response to Jesus's whole deal of living water and eternal life is, "Well, give me this." so that I don't ever have to come to this well again and won't ever have to have that stress of shame in my life. Yeah. So it's even like at that point, she's kind of, she's kind of missing the point and missing the purpose. But I think again, one of the things we talked about on Sunday is we know what that desperation, some of us, if we're really honest, we know what that desperation feels like because it's like, if anybody could give me a way out of the shame, if someone could could make the swamp of my, my soul disappear, I would take that or if yeah. I or it, not even disappear if I never had to deal with it again I would take that and that's yeah. what this woman is really thinking at this point is oh give me that kind of water if I don't have to if, I, if I'm not ever thirsty again I won't ever have to come to this well and I won't ever have to deal with the the junk in my life or yeah. the, the people that know about the junk in my life so it's almost like she's missing the point yeah every every response she has and everything that she has
0: hope in is culture, right? She has a cultural response to everything Jesus says. Like, who are you to talk to me? I'm a woman, I'm a Samaritan. Why would you even speak to me? And then he talks about this well full of water and she's like, well what makes you think your well is better than the ones that my ancestors dug like these these people that are in my lineage who are highly respected and like this well is the well of the village so why would i need another well she has all these cultural responses of like well what you're saying goes against what everybody else is saying so you must not be right yeah and then she starts to believe it she starts to kind of get her mind changed like she he, jesus catches her attention and she's listening but her hope is still in culture. Yeah. Her hope is still in the idea that, oh, well, what you're telling me sounds really, really good. It sounds really, really intense, enticing, but if it's true, all it means is that I'll be able to deal with culture, the culture I know, the culture I'm familiar with, in a new way. I won't have to go to the well. I won't have to deal with the onlooking eyes of the people in my village who know what I've done. And so, I, I believe you might be able to give me this water, but if you do, all it's gonna do is solve my cultural problem. Yeah, She's not yet seeing past the culture she knows that Jesus and kingdom culture is, is in a realm that's totally outside of that. Like, you might be able to shift things around in the box that I exist in, uh, but I don't know yet that you can completely deliver me from that. You can completely pull me out of that into something new.
1: Yeah, cuz shame forces us to do that. I yeah. think shame puts us in a place where it's like well no one can. So she's not even thinking she's not even thinking to this point that that this guy's offering me something that's greater than just I'll never have to come to this well again. Yeah, she's but, thinking medicate. Yeah, she's thinking distraction. Yeah. If yeah. you can
0: you can make you can distract me from my pain. You can medicate my pain. You yeah. can give me a treatment that's better right now. I'm medicating myself by walking in the in the heat of the day but you're saying you can medicate me by giving me water yeah. either way it's just a band-aid right it's not a solution
1: yeah she's thinking band-aid not not long-term like not being cured right yeah um and so then then jesus has this moment where he where he goes there right where he he says you know hey, give me she's like give me this water so i don't have to come to this well again and jesus just just presses all the buttons he said well why don't you go get your husband and she said, "I don't have a husband." And Jesus is like, "You're right. You don't have a husband. In fact, the you know, you've had five husbands, and the guy that you're that you're sleeping with now, right? That he's not even your husband. You've certainly spoke the truth," is what Jesus says. And in that moment, it's like, you know, you've got to think like she probably stopped. It's like, well, how like how do you know this? Yeah. You know, I don't. I've this is the first time I've ever met you. You know, I, how do you know what's going on in my life? And, and I think the reason that, that we get, we get freaked out in those moments and, and that we try to hide and, and, or we even seek, I mean, to, to your point, like about the Medicaid thing, the reason that we don't, we don't seek opportunities to deal with the the swampland of our soul is because, well, if I do that, I've got to let somebody else in. So I would rather seek opportunities to medicate that and numb that and, and, and the things that maybe will allow me to forget it and move past it. Meanwhile, we're just carrying it with us. Well, Jesus goes there. And this is one one thing I think we said on, on Sunday that is critical when it comes to shame and why shame runs so deep in our lives. And this goes back to some of the things that Brene Brown said is that, and this goes back even to what you're saying about conviction, guilt for us or conviction would say, I've done something bad, right? So I'm guilty um, I'm feeling guilt. I've done. I've made a mistake. I've done something bad. I've I've hurt someone's feelings. Um, I'm convicted about that. Now I need to go make it right. Yeah. Right. So guilt says I've done something bad. Shame says I am bad. Yeah. That's the big difference. Yeah. Wow. Um, so so guilt would say I made a mistake. Shame would say I am a mistake. And I think that's a huge difference. And that's why for us it's like we begin to shame does more than just. It, it, yeah, it changes our behavior and yeah, it makes us do weird things. But I think this is where it gets really personal. The reason that it makes us do weird things is because shame affects us from the inside out. Yeah. Like shame gets its claws into our identity and begins to feed, I am, you are statements that we go, mm, yeah, that's it. Yeah. You know? And, and that then forces us then to like, we well, because I am blank, then I must, Blank, right? Yeah. That's kinda that's kinda how it works because shame turns into an I am you are statement. Yeah. She's
0: perking up and she's saying, I hey, I believe you can change my circumstance, but what she's not realizing is that he's offering to change her identity. Yeah. Because it's not I can change what you've done, it's I can change who you are in spite of what you've done. And so it's that difference between circumstance and identity, like he is ready to give her a new name, give her a new identity, and she's gonna find so much confidence in that in a minute. Um, but she's just thinking circumstance. And I think it's cool as you, as you go a little bit further, she starts to say, like, I, I believe there is a Messiah that's coming. Like, I, I kind of get what you're starting to talk about, and mm-hmm. I believe that that's going to come in the future. Like, that's been foretold. That fits into my cultural narrative. Like, I believe that relief is going to come in the future, but I don't believe that relief is standing in front of me right now. Yeah. And through this story, she starts to realize oh, Jesus is is in front of me, and Jesus is that relief. Jesus is that Messiah. But I think that's such a relevant place that we stand in so often. We think, like, we have been conditioned growing up in church or we've been conditioned hearing from secular narratives of, like, it's going to get better. Like, we are conditioned to believe that there's going to be relief one day or that maybe even there's a false promise of, well, once you get married, or once you have a family or once you achieve that job that you're in school for right now or once you latch onto that dream and like see that fulfilled, well then you're gonna find relief from the things that seem scary and seem painful and seem shameful right now. Yeah. And so she's hanging onto the cultural idea of the fact that relief is gonna come one day, maybe. Uh, because she's heard these stories of the Messiah. Mm-hmm. What's cool about this story is Jesus walks in and he goes, I'm here, Yeah. and that relief that you've been told about, the relief that you're wired to naturally believe in, is me. Yeah. And I'm standing right in front of you. Yeah. And I think that's that's what's cool about having a conversation about shame with students who are maybe just now meeting Jesus for the first time. Mm-hmm. It's like you you have been conditioned to think that your life is going to eventually get better, but that's never going to happen unless
1: the thing that is introducing that change is Jesus. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, some people, again, going back even to this this woman, you know, she's looking for that surface level antidote. And what Jesus is offering her is, is restoration at the very core of who she is. And I think, you know, as I read into her story a little bit, and, and yeah, I'm reading between the lines, but I think reading between the lines in my own, you know, through, through the, the lens of my own experience, there's a time that shame can run so deep. We don't even think it's possible. To, yeah. th- th- there's no way out of this. Right. Um, like there's no relief. And, and so it is, it's like, I'm just waiting, you know, for, you know, the, the moment that the, and some of it, it, some of us do this. It's like, I just am bunkered down waiting for the moment where my life ends and all this goes away. Uh, Because we don't realize that there is restoration possible this side of heaven, right? And that that Jesus can deal with our shame this side of heaven. Um, And one of the things we talked about on Sunday is is, is we said shame needs three things to grow, right? Secrecy, silence, and judgment. And for this woman, that's what she'd been living in. She'd been living in secrecy, you know, kind of hiding things. You know, and and working in the shadows, silence in the sense that she clearly wasn't really talking about this with anybody, and judgment. She was receiving judgment from all the people in her village. That's why she was coming to the well at the middle of the day so she could avoid that. And then in this moment, Jesus kills all that stuff, right? Because it's no longer a secret anymore. Yeah. He says, "I know the truth," um, and and it's no longer silent because now they're having a conversation about what's going on in her life. And I think what, what she would ex- expect and what we would expect, because the question we asked on Sunday is, what what would happen if Jesus showed up in your life, right? Just like, what would Jesus do with somebody like me? Um, with the shame in my life and the junk in my life and the mess in my, and the doubt and the the fear in my life, the anxiety. What would Jesus do with those kinds of things? So Jesus shows up in this, and there, the, this this woman's, the, the shame in her life, the swampland of her soul is no longer a secret place, right? It's no longer a silent place. And what she would probably anticipate and what we would then probably anticipate is now that he knows this, just bring on the judgment, right? You're bracing for impact. But he doesn't He doesn't judge her. In fact, he sets her free. And what she then goes and does is, is goes and tells her whole village, the people she was trying to avoid, right? Right? the beginning of this story, she runs back in, drops her water jar, which again, also very symbolic of she's no longer carrying an object of shame, uh, goes back into the village says, Hey, you got to come see this Jesus guy. Um, and her village comes and sees Jesus and he spends a few days with them. And the Bible, the, the story ends with, you know, now we believe, Right, not just because of what you've told us, but because we have seen him ourselves, we know that he's the savior of the world. Yeah. Um, and so Jesus takes shame and replaces it with purpose. Um, and I think that's 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 an amazing thing. And really, what it comes down to, and this goes back to some of the Brene Brown stuff that we weren't able to talk about on Sunday, is it comes down to worth. See, what what shame ultimately removes from us is our is our, our, our worth, our value, you know? At, at some point you say, I'm worthy, I'm worth it, I'm worth something, and shame says, N- no, you're not. Yeah. Um, and what Jesus does, when he when he steps into you, says, all right, I'm gonna kill the things that allow shame to grow. It's no longer secret, it's no longer silent, and I don't judge you, I set you free. Now what he ultimately restores in this woman's life, yeah, is purpose, but her purpose comes from her worth, and her worth comes from Jesus. Hmm. And I think that's a critical thing in this story is, this woman who had, she perceived herself to have no value. She gave up um, and and was just kind of living the life she was living uh, under and in the swamp of shame. Now, all of a sudden, Jesus says, no, I'm going to restore ultimately your purpose. But in that, too, I'm going to restore your value uh, in your identity and who you are. And that's a critical element in this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, those three
0: words—secrecy, uh, silence, and and judgment—are so good because those are the things that shame feeds on. Mm-hmm. And as you expose uh, shame out of its secrecy, out of its silence, you you speak against judgment. You are cutting the legs off of it. You're you're keeping it from being able to grow. And so, just thinking about how families, how parents. Um, and how students with their friends can start to practically mm-hmm. address shame, how they can practically approach shame in the way that Jesus does, like it goes back to those three words. You have to expose the secret, you have to break the silence. you have to speak against the judgment mm-hmm. and you have to speak against the culture of what might be the natural reaction to this, which is judgment. Yeah uh, so so just to wrap up, like how do we, Um, go to our friends? How do we go to our families? How do we start to break the silence? How do we start to take the lid off the secret? How do we start to address shame in a way uh, that that reveals Jesus and that
1: frees us up to step into purpose? I'm going to drop another Renee Brown quote, all right? so Brene, if you, if you ever come across this, maybe, I mean, if you want to send some royalties our way, that's fine. Uh, A little kickback. Um, She says something in one of her, I think we're sending her royalties. Oh yeah. It should be the other way around. Uh, well maybe just a kickback or or a free book. Um, she says empathy is the antidote. And I think that ultimately is, is there's, there's a lot of truth to that of it's not just that I'm trying to fix you. Right. Um, but I'm going to jump in and feel what you're feeling. And I think that's the, the, the thing about Jesus. And we said on Sunday is, I mean, if you, Jesus felt that. Jesus felt what it was like to be disowned by his own family, right? Uh, this is a guy who is familiar with the, the, the effects of shame. Um, and so empathy is the antidote. So I think the, the thing that for us as, as parents You know, um, and I walk this line too. I get it's it can be easy for me to get frustrated with my boys. And in those moments of frustration or moments of discipline, I've got to be really careful to guard how I'm disciplining my kids when they make a mistake to make sure they know they've made a mistake, but they're not a mistake. Yeah. Right. So I think that's a challenge for us as parents to think through those those times of, you know, my kid made a mistake. Yeah, your kid made a mistake. They're kids, their, their frontal lobe is not fully formed, right? Those critical thinking centers of their brains don't work all the way yet. Um, and so, you know, they're gonna make mistakes. They're gonna make mistakes, but they're not mistakes. Um, and so I think as parents, we've got to guard uh, those moments and make sure that we are not sowing things into our the identity of our children uh, that don't belong there. Like, it's okay to walk through guilt and conviction. I think those are very biblical things. Mm-hmm. And I think the Holy Spirit uses guilt and conviction to bring about repentance and change in our lives. Uh, I don't think shame is of the Holy Spirit. And it is, it is, it's a fine line to walk. I mean, it's a mm-hmm. razor's edge. It's really, really easy to get into. From disciplining or walking through, pastoring through, discipling through guilt and conviction, it's really easy in moments of frustration just to heap it on. Yeah. Uh, and that's when it turns into shame. Uh, and so I think that for parents, you got you got to take yourself back to when you were 16 years old uh, and some of the mistakes that you made. Um, and maybe it is. Maybe it's like you, you're, I mean, and I want to get real personal. Maybe you're still dealing with the swamp of, of your own shame. Uh, because even like you said earlier, it's like, you can't expect this moment of, well, when I get married, my shame will go away. Or when I have kids, my shame... No, you just bring it in, yeah. right? I do that. Um, you know, like, I've done that. I just... like I, My shame didn't go away when I got married to my wife. Um, and my shame didn't go away when we had our boys. It just... I just bring it. I mean, we're all in it, right? Um, yeah. yeah. And so I mean, I, the
0: woman at the well probably was thinking
1: husband number one's going to take it. Yeah. Husband number two's going to take it. Yeah. And on down oh, Maybe line.
0: three, maybe four, maybe five. And maybe this, uh, maybe this, you maybe know what? this next guy. I'm yeah. just going to hide.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think so. I think that's an important thing, you know, for us to realize is like, man, I got my own shame. And so I understand how you're feeling right now. But let me tell you, you made a mistake. Yeah. You're not a mistake. Um, and I think from a student perspective, as, as, as we are navigating shame, um, it is you got to allow somebody in. Uh, right now at this point it is, it's like, I've got this thing that I know is there. Uh, but the truth of the matter is we all have really bad poker faces and as much as we think we're hiding stuff, in fact, the more we try to hide stuff, the more we stand out. And I think as a student, uh, just to invite your peers in to say, Hey, I've got something, I got something that we need to talk about. I need to let somebody know about this. Um, and, or if you're the person that gets invited into those moments to say, I got empathy is the antidote. I know. I kind of know how you're feeling, right? me too are some of the most powerful words we can say in those moments. Not you should, you ought to, you better, but me too. Um, but I also think too, from a student perspective, and this is really scary. Um, you only have one family and I'm not saying all of our families are great, right? I know some of us, I think most of our families are good families, but we give our parents a bad rep. Um, but they're really good parents and they're trying they're trying their hardest. Um, you've got to involve your parents and stuff. you got to have honest conversations with your parents um, and you've got to bring them in uh, and you have to be able to trust them with that. Um, and I think, you know, parents, as you're listening to this too, understanding that when my student says, Hey mom, Hey dad, I need to let you in on some stuff um, to lean in with empathy. Um, and yeah, it may be horrible and it may be heartbreaking and it may be emotional and there may be, there may be tears and anger and all those kinds of things. Uh, but I think, reinforcing who your kids are in those moments, like, yeah, you made a mistake and yeah, you've done the, and you may have done some things that are horrible that, that ultimately at the end of the day, there's a consequence for those. Um, but you're still my son. Yeah. You're still my daughter and I still love you. Um, now the judgment goes out the way. Now we can start to deal with the swamp land of our soul. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Feel, feel the empathy,
0: let it influence your behavior and then speak the empathy out loud. I yep. have also, walked in this same shame that you've walked in. I have also experienced this. I've also struggled with this. I think it's one of those things that Christians need to say more often Yeah, is, I have also struggled with this. Yeah. Uh, and that is a powerful thing to be able to say, not just to our families, but to people who don't know Jesus um, and who are walking in shame. So just remembering those three words, secrecy, silence, judgment. And I think a great challenge um, with this conversation is just to go read through John 4, read through that interaction between Jesus and the woman at the well and think about all the different ways that he addressed her personal needs, her emotional needs, her cultural barriers. Like she had all of these walls up. And he tore them down with empathetic language. Yep. He didn't tear him down with judgment. He didn't tear him down with condemnation. He didn't tear him down by making her afraid. He tore them down with empathetic language. And yep. so I would just, I would encourage everyone to read that story and then start to pray through, how do I apply the way that Jesus spoke to this woman to the way that I have conversations with my family yeah. and my friends? And
1: even even in addition to that, what would Jesus do with me? Yeah. Replace the woman at the well with you. Yeah. Like, what would Jesus do with you? Yeah. And I think that's, oh, now it gets real. Yeah. Yeah. Such a good story.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, we're back next week uh, talking about what happens when Jesus meets Thomas. We'll be yep. digging into doubt, another light topic. Yeah. Uh, but one that's going <laughs> to that's gonna be good for everybody. It's a fun summer uh,
1: talking about shame and doubt. Yeah. People yep. that
0: know Jesus, people that don't know Jesus, everybody struggles with doubt, just like everybody struggles with shame. So we're looking forward to next week.
1: Yeah. We'll see you.